Paul Tudor-Jones, the famed investor, was on CNBC this week, and he said, this is the most threatening and challenging geopolitical environment that I've ever seen. At the same time, the US is in its weakest fiscal position since World War II, with debt to GDP at 122%. Can, can America, can the West afford another war at this time? I, I think the answer is absolutely. Um, America can certainly afford to stand with Israel and to support Israel's military needs. And we also can and must support Ukraine in its struggle against Russia. And look, the American economy is doing extremely well. Oh, is it, Janet? Janet Yellen there, ladies and gentlemen, uh, letting us know that the American economy is doing extremely well. Pay not attention to your eyes or ears. For it was the final command. George Orwell, 1984. I do not agree. <laughs> and let me tell you why. Uh, because she's lying through her teeth. Or she's so dumb she doesn't even know she's lying. But I assure you, folks, we cannot afford two more wars. That was the, that was the framing of the question, mind you. Can we afford... One more war was the actual question, and she says we can afford two. We can fund Ukraine, and we can fund Israel. Israel, by the way, which is not some pauper, not some nation that's like hanging on by a thread, not some nation that has actually been really invaded by an army that is trying to take their land, but rather was struck with a very tragic and egregious terrorist attack. But they're not in any sort of existential threat from Hamas. This is crazy. This is crazy. And, and they already have an Iron Dome. They already have a very advanced military. They already have undeclared but very legitimate nuclear warheads. Uh, what? And we have to defend them against a couple thousand Hamas? What are you talking about? Why? Why? It's ridiculous. Uh, welcome to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. It's been a few days since I've spoken with you, and I have missed you deeply. I hope you feel the same. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, this is Clint Russell, and uh, I really, really can't believe the trajectory of things, and we're going to have to get into it. I, We have uh, U.S. troops, 2,000 of which are being geared up to be deployed, and that is the worst news of the day. Before we get into that, which inevitably we will, because it's the biggest story in the world, I have some other things I'd like to talk about because I think that many of you are probably overwhelmed with this topic and it's all anybody's talking about. Uh, so I'm going to have to cover it a little bit more because there are some really important new developments, but there are some other things that are being ignored. So let's start with some good news. I know it's rare, but it does happen from time to time. We have Danielle Smith. She is the premier of Alberta, Canada, and this is one of the more heartfelt apologies to the unvaccinated that I've heard. And I thought many of you, seeing as I enjoyed it and appreciated it, would also appreciate it. Let's hear what she has to say. The community that faced the most restrictions on their freedoms in the last year were those who made a choice not to be vaccinated. I don't think I've ever experienced a situation in my lifetime, where a person was fired from their job or not allowed to watch their kids play hockey or not allowed to go visit a loved one in long-term care or hospital or not allowed to go get on a plane to either go 
across the country to see family or even travel across the border. So they have been the most discriminated against group that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. That's a pretty extreme level of discrimination that we have seen. I don't take away any of the discrimination that I've seen in those other groups that you mentioned, but this has been an extraordinary time in the last uh, year in particular. And I want people to know that I find that unacceptable, that we are not going to create a segregated society on the basis of a, of a medical choice. The wow. Thank you, Ms. Smith. Uh, about time, huh? About time that someone said it. Granted, it wasn't really an apology, but it was definitely an acknowledgement. Acknowledgement of what's transpired, that they divided us, that they created almost an apartheid state for the vax versus the non, that they um, you know, dictated what had to be in our bodies for our lives to continue on. I mean, what just pure lunacy. But it's like, it's, it's what needs to happen. It's what needs to happen. I still am a firm believer that those responsible for the policy making decisions and even some of the enforcers probably deserve criminal charges because I think what, what happened was not just immoral, but really illegal. Uh, maybe not in Canada, I don't know their laws, but certainly in America, there, there can be an argument made. And I think that there ought to be, particularly in Anthony Fauci's case, as you know, because I've covered that in depth as to what he was up to, that sneaky little guy. Uh, but here's the thing. A lot of people, especially in my audience, were abused terribly because they were the ones that didn't go along for the ride. And you were right, okay? So pat yourselves on the back, you were right. And good for you. And I know many of you are very upset about what happened. And I, I'm more or less in alignment with your view. I am, I'm very upset about what happened too. However, when it comes to someone like Danielle Smith that's saying this, I am personally inclined to forgive and move on. Her, not everybody, but any political figure that's willing to acknowledge how egregiously immoral and wrong it was, okay. I, I'm not an eye for an eye, tooth for the tooth, to the end of time type of guy. This is actually very similar to what we've seen in the Middle Eastern uh, relationships for my entire lifetime, plus much, much longer, is that there's these egregious acts that are perpetrated from one side to the other, and then the other side eventually responds in kind, and then the other side says, now we're the victims, so now we get to respond with some level of you know, moral authority, and I just think that the, the, the cycle of violence you know, eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind type of mentality. I know it's trite, but it's true. It's obviously true. So do I want to live just with my heart filled with anger towards these people forever? For me, the answer is no. I'd rather not. I'd rather not be on a war path for the rest of my life, just angry at everybody that, that lost their minds during that period. Some of them need to see criminal punishment. However, not all of them. I think that there, if you never offer any pathway to redemption, especially for those that weren't enforcers, they weren't policymakers, they were just wrong, deeply, deeply wrong and immorally wrong. If they don't have a path to redemption, then what's, what's, their, what's the incentive for them to actually realize the error of their ways? There really isn't one. There's not really an incentive because everybody that's in their camp is going to reject them 
And if everybody that's in our camp rejects them, then they're just, you know, excommunicated from civilization. And I would rather welcome in anybody who's willing to apologize for having been wrong as hell for two, three years straight. That's my perspective. And this leads me naturally into my take on the Israel-Palestine situation as it stands today. And what I've seen a lot of lately, because there has been basically no conversations happening except around this particular topic, and I understand why. It's the biggest news story in the world right now. But what I've seen a lot lately is just these blanket, I stand with Israel statements from lots of people, people I respect too. And I want to encourage you to think a bit deeply, a bit more deeply about what that means. What a platitude such as I stand with X, any nation, what that actually means, what it represents. Well, the reason I, it gave me pause when I started to see it is because I am old enough to remember the responses from our government after 9-11. And if you remember, in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, which was a horrific terrorist attack, 3,000 plus people were murdered, innocent people. Well, in the aftermath of that, there was kind of a, there was a brief moment where even our enemies <clears throat> on the global scale started to reach out to us and stand with us, to stand with America. If you remember, Vladimir Putin was actually the first leader in the world that reached out to America. He spoke with George Bush and he offered help with intelligence and he offered his condolences for our loss. He wasn't our enemy at the time, but you get my point. This was a, a fairly unified global moment where they were saying, yeah, that was wrong. That was terrible. And we realize that you're going to respond and you have the right to. I think that's kind of how I perceive the Israel attack, right? You know, from Hamas is that they have a right to respond. They do, but they don't have a right to do what America did in the post 9-11 era. So let me detail a little bit of what happened in the post 9-11 era. Well, approximately six or seven nations were destroyed in, in this moment where we had nothing but rage and complete moral authority to do whatever we wanted. We went out and we destroyed a bunch of nations. Now keep in mind, to a large extent, the attacks on 9-11 were not a you know, statist attack. It wasn't, it, many of them were Saudi Arabian. I'm sure there was some entities within Saudi Arabia that had greenlit it, but putting that aside, it was not a full-on government that was invading America. They were using terrorist tactics. So as a, as a result of that, we immediately, oh, well, not immediately, it, was, it took a year, but we ended up invading Iraq and Afghanistan to start this all off. And what did we get for that? Well, a couple hundred thousand innocent dead people, governments that are still in disarray. We replaced the Taliban with the Taliban after a 20 year war. We lost approximately 10,000 US service members. And then all of the suicides on top of that. So in a, in a, in a moment of righteous anger, and it was righteous anger. What happened to us? We deserve to be very upset and to respond against the perpetrators. But what did we get? We got 
multitudes more dead. Innocent dead. Is that is that progress? Does that make you feel better? It may make you feel better in the moment, but I think if you look at it from a more bird's eye, it's like, no, it shouldn't. It shouldn't make you feel better that, oh, well, we lost 3,000 innocents, so it's good that the Iraqis lost hundreds of thousands of innocents. What the fuck kind of rationale is that? It's insane. And it wasn't just Iraq and Afghanistan, folks. Libya, Yemen, Syria, a um, couple others that we bombed, Somalia. This was all war on terror. Now it gets worse. It gets worse because we have, we're functioning from a place of pure righteous anger and moral authority. And the world stands with America, right? It gets way worse. Then they, then they pass the Patriot Act. So they start to spy abroad against everybody. In that, there are clauses that allow them to spy on Americans. If you have any contacts abroad, which most of us do, because most of us know someone that lives <laughs> overseas, they start to basically widen the dragnet. And eventually, the surveillance state becomes such a panopticon that it's like we all just assume at this point that every email, text message, phone call, everything we do, every social media post, we all just assume that the government is monitoring it. Well, let me tell you, prior to 2001, prior to the war on terror, that was not the American perspective. We had an expectation of privacy. We did not think that the government would do such a thing. But in that moment of moral authority, that blank check of standing with America, they stripped us of our rights and they killed countless innocent people. So fuck standing with a government because the, pe the people of that nation have been wronged egregiously. That doesn't get us where we want to go. So standing with Israel is no different. It's no different. And what are they doing with this moral blank check from the West? As you say, I stand with Israel. What are they doing with it? Well, they're killing by early estimates. We don't know for sure because there's still fog of war and there's propaganda on both sides, but early estimates that I read this morning is 700 to 800 innocent children have been murdered in the bombing campaign. On top of that, what have they done? They have shut off the water. They have shut off the gas. They have shut off the power. They have shut off the internet. They have shut off the exits. There is no exit into Egypt and the six entrance exits into Israel are also closed. And the internet, all of it, to a million plus people in northern Gaza, that at least 95% of which are not Hamas, they've done that to, it's just collective punishment writ large. It's the exact same thing we did in Iraq, except for the difference is that in Iraq, they had nothing to do with 9-11. At least in this case, I guess they're closer to the target because Hamas did flee back and they do have hostages that they're holding in Gaza. I'll, I'll give them credit for that, I guess. But shutting off the water, power, all of this, and food, and internet, and having no exit for these people, just telling them, hey, go south. Just go south in Gaza and you'll be fine. Oh, but then there's also a, an IED or a bomb. We don't know which. We don't know if it was Hamas. We don't know if it was the IDF. We don't know if it was an outside agent that started to strike the people as they tried to flee northern Gaza. We don't know who. So 
what what position does this put these people in? They're being told, you have 12 hours to flee. Where can you go? Well, you can go to the south of the town that will probably end up blowing up too. And in the meantime, you don't even know if it's safe. You don't know if the path to the south is safe. So you're just sitting there going, well, I can stay in my home and hope that I'm not one of the apartment complexes that gets fucking flat, flattened by Israel's bombing campaign. Or I can get in my car, which by the way, most of them don't even own cars, but I can get in my car and I can drive south and I can just hope that an IED or Hamas doesn't strike me or some outside nation because we don't know what's going on. Fog of war. Remember, these people also have no internet and they have no power. So if they don't have a generator, they can't even really get any news to see what's going on. Israel says, oh, well, we, we sent them text messages. Yeah, but you shut off their power. So many of them don't have their phones on. So then they go, oh, well, we leafleted it. Okay, so you sent them a leaflet. And now they have to just assume that, that what's on that is actually going to be safe. It puts them in a very tough position. Now, I appreciate that you're sending leaflets. I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate you for that. I think that's a good thing. But at the same time, why should these people have to leave? They haven't done anything wrong. And you're going to blow up their homes? Some of the poorest people in the world? And you're just going to say, well, Hamas did a thing. And now your life is over. Your property, if you're lucky enough to own it, yeah, it's gone. And you're not going to have any recourse for that. And also, you can't really leave. You just have to go to the south of Gaza. You can't actually leave the country. So you're going to be in a war-torn nation for God knows how long, and you have the rest of the world, including American boomers, that are just sitting there on their fucking cell phones saying, I stand with Israel. And they're like, why? Why do you stand with them? I've done nothing wrong. I'm just a person caught up in the crossfire of two governments that don't give a shit about me. Because I can assure you, that's how most of these people feel. Most of them are not like, yeah, I'm rocking with Hamas and I'm glad that they committed those terrorist strikes because I really wanted to have my house blown up and my children threatened with bombardment and have no power or water or anything else and no internet. I'm sure that, I'm sure that most of them are thrilled about what Hamas did. Come on, use your brain here, folks. Not everybody, just because you don't think about the Muslim world very often, doesn't mean that there's some subhuman, you know, lesser population. These are people that care about their children. Still, they do. Maybe not Hamas, but the vast majority of people, no matter their religion or their race or their creed, they care about their kids. That's part of the reason that they fight so viciously, is because what happened that led to 9-11 was the the half a million people in Iraq that were starved out or killed with the, uh, the sanction regime from the Bill Clinton administration. That radicalized them against us in a very severe way. How do you think the Palestinians will react to America lending both financial and military support to Israel as their lives are ruined? Do you think that that will make them have any sort of fondness towards America? Well, obviously not. Obviously not. But this is the real reason that you shouldn't just blanket stand with Israel. One, you should never give blind allegiance to any government. What America did with, with your blind allegiance was catastrophic. In hindsight, that's crystal clear. If you're a libertarian, you were calling it out in real time. You knew exactly where this was headed. Anytime you give a blank check of moral authority to a government, you are headed in a dark, dark place. Because these aren't good people. And they don't care about you. 
But here's the real reason today why standing with Israel and giving them a blank moral check to do whatever the fuck they say they want to or they need to to protect themselves, this is why. If you care about the existential threat against Israel, the nation of Israel, and that's totally reasonable if you do, well, Hamas will never, ever be able to topple Israel, ever. But if Israel's response to the terrorist attack by Hamas is so over the top and it takes out thousands and thousands, maybe tens of thousands of innocent people, over half of which will undoubtedly be children because that's the population makeup of their nation. Well, then Hezbollah in Lebanon, you have Iran, you have a bunch of other nations that are obviously aren't very fond of Israel to begin with for racial animus or for Mossad's activity in their own nation or CIA activity in their own nation, whatever their reasoning. They're already not very fond of Israel. The people that live in their countries are particularly not very fond, nor are they fond of America, might I add. They will start to demand that their government rises up in defense of the Palestinians. So Hamas, which could never in a million years in a direct conflict, topple Israel. The response from Israel to Hamas in Palestine against innocent people and the outrage that that creates amongst their neighbors could threaten the very existence of Israel. So if you get Iran and you get uh, Lebanon to invade simultaneously and maybe some others, Egypt, who knows, it can get it can actually become an existential threat to to Israel that is the only way so if you want to actually stand with Israel the best thing you could say in this moment in my opinion you're going to handle it however you want but the best thing you could say is you have a right to defend yourself you absolutely can go after Hamas and the terrorists responsible for injuring and murdering your people but you must still respect innocent life. You must still do everything in your power. And what they're doing is not everything in their power. Let's not kid ourselves. You don't do this to a million uh, people in a civilian population if you're really, really concerned about protecting innocent life. You focus on your border and you focus on using either Mossad or special forces. I've, I don't know what it's called in the IDF to go after Hamas in the more because you have all of the technological advantages utilize that do not use bombing campaign campaigns against apartment complexes do not cut off water and food and outside aid which they've also done this week there's no aid getting in so these people are like on death's door and and israel is actually preventing them from receiving any outside aid people that had nothing to do with this we're, we're right back to talking about you know just African, or excuse me, uh, Afghanistan rather, just regular people had nothing to do with it. If you remember, there was actually American troops that said they would talk to not just Taliban members, but you know, just tribes people in Afghanistan, and they'd say, you know, like, why are you here? <laughs> like, what are you doing here? And they'd be like, oh, well, the people that were responsible for 9-11, uh, you know, they fled here. And they'd say, what's 
and they'd be like, oh, well, they flew into the World Trade Centers. And they'd be like, what are the World Trade Centers? You know, these people don't have any fucking clue what you're talking about. They're not responsible for any of it. They had no enmity towards you. They had no culpability in the act. That's the same situation in Palestine, in Gaza. There's a million people in northern Gaza. Now, now think about this. There hasn't been an election in Gaza since 2007. 2007. That's 15 plus years ago. Over half of the population is under 18. If you go back, assuming, I don't know, actually, I haven't looked this up, but I assume that their voting age is somewhere in the 18 years old. So 18 plus 15 puts you at 33 years old. So unless you're 33 or older, you never voted in your life. You get that? And it's like 60 plus percent of the population in Palestine is under 30. So that means, and then, and then on top of that, it wasn't some landslide victory for Hamas in that election, which, by the way, Israel supported Hamas in that election, but setting that aside, it wasn't some landslide victory. It was a very marginal one. So that means like half of the people of the of the remaining, say, 30 to 40 percent of people that actually did get to vote in their life that did put Hamas in power, about half of them didn't vote for Hamas. Okay, so now we're down to maybe 20 percent of the people alive today in Palestine, in Gaza, voted for Hamas. 20%, one in five. And you're gonna hold them to account for the actions of Hamas. And keeping in mind, of that 20% that voted for Hamas, they probably didn't imagine that it would be 15 years of living how they've lived, nor did they necessarily endorse terrorism strikes. Not all of them did. Undoubtedly, not all of them did. So you're talking 5%, 10% of the population is even ideologically responsible for this, not even in action, but just in ideology. This is crazy. So you have 900 plus thousand people in northern Gaza that really have no moral culpability for any of this. And we're like, Israel has a right to defend itself. Fuck all those people. That's crazy thoughts. That's nonsense. That's collective guilt, and it's not even applicable because I've just laid out why you shouldn't be applying guilt for them because they didn't fucking vote for these lunatics. It's nuts. It's nuts. And it's immoral. So, the only way you can actually topple Israel and do the bidding of Hamas is to give a blank moral check to Israel in response to Hamas. This is the explicit goal of terrorism. This is what they do. They realize that they have a foe that is bigger and more powerful than them. They could never topple them. So what do they do? They create a strike against their citizens, which is totally immoral and illegal and awful. And then they know that in response, the bigger, stupider nation <laughs> will, will respond by killing way more innocent people, which only galvanizes the their ideological brethren that live in, in other nations around the world to hopefully come and fight in their defense. You're playing into their hands. Hamas could never prevail one-on-one. -on -one. But if you give a blank moral check to Israel, yeah, you bet your ass Israel could fall. And the world could fall with it. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind.
Don't just tweet out platitudes. Think about what it means. Think about where it goes and think about what that act in the past has resulted in for you and your family. Are you more free today than you were in 1999 or the year 2000? Fuck no, you're not. Fuck no, you're not. Never give a blank moral check to any government and certainly not to the American or Israeli government. Their track record has demonstrated definitively they don't deserve it. Today's episode is brought to you by Nadeau Shave Co. Big Shave has been psyoping the American people for decades. Woke companies like Gillette and Harry's do their hardest to convince us that using plastic multi-blade cartridge razors is the best way to shave. The truth is that these disposable cartridge razors are the cause of razor bumps, irritation, and ingrown hairs. They also cost a fortune. You don't need expensive replacement cartridges. You only need one stainless steel blade. Whether you're shaving your entire face or just edging up your beard, our single blades provide a barber grade shave for a fraction of the price. Their standard issue includes one traditional safety razor and a box of 100 stainless steel razor blades. 100% recyclable, plastic-free, $55 allows you to shave for an entire year. You heard that right. 55 freaking bucks for an entire year. You're not going to find a better deal than that anywhere, and it's the highest quality razor I have ever used. And for those who like a brand new blade for each shave, sign up for their quarter shave club where members pay 25 cents a shave. Take down Big Shave and visit Nadeau Shave Co. to try their traditional safety razors. Veteran-owned, family-operated, use code LOCKDOWN for 15% off your entire order. Again, that's NadeauShaveCo.com, N-A-D-E-A-U, ShaveCo.com, promo code LOCKDOWN. Here's what Israel's Prime Minister Netanyahu had to say this morning. To all their families, we don't stop any effort in order to bring them back, our brothers and sisters. People, men, women, children, babies, all those who were abducted by these satanic people. To all now, they're Satanists. Interesting. Um, I mean, this is the language that we used in the 9-11 wake, so it's not, I'm not unaccustomed to it, but it still rubs me the wrong way. But the, the point that I wanted to make about this is that when he says that we will do everything in our power to bring back the hostages. Well, reports as of yesterday were that the Hamas members were demanding that they would do a, they would do a hostage exchange, but they wanted, I think it was 30 or 35 uh, women and children prisoners from their own ranks that ha are being held in Israel. So, look, I understand the whole concept of not negotiating with terrorists. It sets a terrible precedent, blah, blah, blah. I get all that. But here's the reality. If you're not willing to negotiate with them given this current circumstance, that means that you only have the option of wanton violence against civilian populations if you're going to target Hamas, especially if you believe that they're using them as human shields, which I think is overstated, but it certainly does happen from time to time. Well, what does that get you? More terrorists. Hello? Think rationally. I mean, this is, this is a well-known phenomenon that for every innocent person killed in the pursuit of a genuine terrorist, you end up with like five to 10 more because they see an innocent life taken and they go, I'm going to dedicate my life to getting revenge for that person. The exact same mentality that the Israel Israelis are, are functioning off of right now that they had, you know, a thousand plus of their innocence, at least that's the reports currently that were taken 
and and now they're going to do whatever they have to and they they've been radicalized in, into that you know mindset of like must have vengeance doesn't matter how many innocents die must have vengeance everyone's responsible even the innocent people that live there even the children everyone's responsible no they're not no they're not and if you if you behave that way you just create more terrorists which means that you lose more innocence because eventually those kids that see all of this insanity they grow up and then they become exactly what you're trying to fight which is this radicalized terrorist that's willing to sacrifice themselves and their lives and their loved ones to get vengeance for their fallen foe or their fallen allies in you know not even years but decades past so you could actually like swap get the innocent hostages out of there which allegedly there's over a hundred still some some reports say upwards of 200 innocent people which are being held hostage you could trade 35 women and kids that are being held hostage or in prison in Israel and hopefully put an end to this to some extent to de-escalate a little bit. But instead of doing that, Israel rejected it. They didn't even counter. They didn't even counter to try and try and get the, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's technically a prison of war since there's no, I don't know if there's a, you know, a declaration of war between like terrorist groups and, and Israel, but regardless, I think that this is a, you know, to, to then spin it and frame them as being Satanists when like, obviously if they're trying to get their people back, they still value life to a certain extent. They're still saying like, we want our people back. They value them. They do. So they're Satanists. Okay. I don't know. They're not good guys. They're certainly dangerous radicals, but like, are we just going to eye for an eye ourselves until we're all just reading in Braille? Uh, I don't know. It seems it seems really silly to me. So I don't know. I, I'm just imploring people to like not give a blank check here because if they're not willing to negotiate with them and they're actually using them as, as human shields, like what do you do in a hostage situation? Well, you negotiate. You negotiate. And, and if you believe that they're using these people as human shields, well, then you have a million hostages. Just in just in northern Gaza, you have two million hostages. If you want to go the whole the whole shebang, so it just seems like if you had if you had like say three terrorists that were holding twenty hostages uh, ransom, well, you'd probably negotiate with them because you're like well, twenty lives versus the three. You know, it's not good, but like we got to find a way to deescalate. We got to find a way to get these people back. We got to find a way to diminish the loss of life. In this in this period, it's just like, no one even is willing to view it that way. No one's even willing to go like, well, yeah, we got to try and get the innocent people freed. This, that's, that should be like priority number one. He's even saying it. We will do everything in our power to get these people back. Well, if everything in your power doesn't include negotiating or a prisoner exchange, are you doing everything in your power? It doesn't sound like it to me. In which case, who's the Satanist? Who's the one that's lying? Who's the one that's deceiving? It's worth asking. Here's Jonathan Greenblatt, so, head of ADL. Is there a distinction with a difference then, Jonathan, between being anti-Israel and being anti-Jewish? Hmm. Well, look, I think you can certainly be a critic of Israel. You can say, I don't like these policies. Or are they being conflated, I guess, is really yeah, the I think, Yeah, I think you can criticize Israel. I've criticized policy of the Israeli government. I'm not anti-Israel. But I think where we draw the line is being anti-Zionist. Okay. What I mean by that is this ideology that says, I oppose the existence of the Jewish state. 
I oppose the legitimacy of Jews having the right to self-determination. I oppose the whole notion that Jewish people should be able to live in their ancestral homeland. That is an ideology which is now common on college campuses. It's common in some corridors of power. We have people in Congress, like Rashida Tlaib, who professes this idea. And then, by the way, it's common in some newsrooms. We see this with the copy editors and some other people making decisions. But anti-Zionism, I've long said, is anti-Semitism. I was wrong. Anti-Zionism is genocide. Whoa! Holy cow! <laughs> anti-Zionism is genocide? Bro, you want to go a little bit more hyperbolic with that? Holy shit. All right, I've got a lot to say about this, but let's finish this clip. And what I mean is, if you so dehumanize Zionists, by the way, every Jewish person is a Zionist. You might not believe in the political project of the state of Israel, but every Saturday morning, like for me yesterday, you open your prayer book and it talks about Zion. It talks about Jerusalem. Jews have been praying to Jerusalem for 2,000 years, 2,000 years. But here's the point. Zionism is whether you're a religious Jew going to synagogue every day or you're just a cultural Jew who even thinks of themselves as an atheist. Zionism is embedded in our tradition. It's fundamental to our existence. And so for the anti-Zionist who says all Zionists are evil, all Zionists are bad, the Zionist project is wrong, that leaves us in a very weird position. Well, it puts me in a really weird position, dude. You're, you're really not helping me out here. I mean, what, 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 what does he say to the millions of Jewish people that don't support the state of Israel, that live all over the world, many of which live in Israel, that they say that it's not okay to have an ethno-state? Because that's really what they're saying. It's like, I want to have my own nation for my own people. And, and let me be very clear. I actually don't have a problem with that. I don't personally want it. I prefer multiculturalism. But I don't think that there's anything that's like obligatory about human existence that like we get, like we are owed a landmass that only has people that are of my, I don't know, my lineage or whatever. It's like, it's weird. It's just a weird worldview. And there's many, there's many Jews that don't agree. And he would say that that's supporting of genocide? His own people that don't support it, they're supporting genocide? Why? What, where does this worldview come from? It's so fascinating. And why is it that like any other religion or race or anything else that says like, we are going to have our own nation that's like it's ours it's our homeland it's like that would automatically be viewed as racist or i don't know religious <laughs> whatever the word is when you're biased against other religions um i just think it's a very fascinating framing and i think it it doesn't really do jewish people a service like it it forces people to to choose like are you with us or against us it's a very divisive tactic and you know, I love Jewish people, but if I have to support them having their homeland, which is in dispute with other people that believe it's their homeland, and I have to choose, and if I don't choose, then I support genocide. And also, if I support your side, then I'm kind of supporting genocide against the Palestinians. It puts me in a, a totally untenable position. I, I think it's a very unfair tactic and intentionally so. I think it's it's trying to invert the reality of the situation that this is a 
disputed land. It is disputed. Clearly. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, it's disputed, and it has been disputed for a very long time. So, like, if you guys want a homeland, have at it. But you kind of have to have, like, an undisputed property right to it. And you don't. You don't have that. Which is why the United Nations has said, Hey, what you're doing to the Palestinians? Knock it off. It's not okay. It's like, this is a lot, a lot, tons and tons of human rights organizations have been saying this for years. That this is criminal, what's happening to the Palestinian people. Now, what Hamas did in response, also criminal, okay? Let me make it crystal clear, because every time I say either one of these things, people go, oh, you're fucking on that side. I'm not on that side. I'm just saying there's a lot of wrong on both sides. But this this tactic, this manipulative tactic of saying if I don't support a you know a Jewish state, that all of a sudden like is there a Christian state? I don't know of any states that are like actually Christian. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are ones that are like that's that's their state. But just a, it's just a weird demand. Very very strange to me. I don't know if you guys think I'm I'm misunderstanding or anything. Please in the comments. Uh, let me know. <laughs> let me know if I'm wrong. I, I could be on this one. It's obviously not my area of expertise, but it, it is strange. Strange to put it mildly. And just to show you why I push so so hard uh, or push back so hard against the 40 babies story from a week ago, uh, I think that this will this will you know shed some light on why I took it so seriously. This is Joe Biden admitting that. Lying about the babies in incubators back in 1991, or 90, was uh, very much to the benefit of the war machine. And I think uh, all administrations tend to do that. I remember the first Gulf War, we heard all this about babies being killed in Kuwait and the like. That wasn't the reason we went to Kuwait, but it was sort of icing on the cake to deal with public opinion, I think. Ultimate reason. And I Bingo. I mean, it's that simple. This is... It's not like I'm trying to diminish the atrocities. It's just that I identified immediately that when they try and use children and babies and women as a big headline, particularly the 40 babies, couldn't be, I mean, it's up there with some of the worst things I've ever heard. So immediately, like the, the natural response is, oh, whoever did that? Get them, <laughs> get, get them, and I feel that way too. That's my natural instinct. But like, because I'm I'm very accustomed to the war propaganda, is that when I see a story that's so outrageous, my in immediate react, like the second after I go, oh, go get them, is go, oh, is that true? <laughs> you know, like, oh, is that true? Because before I give you know, my tacit you know, approval of a violent response, I better make sure it's true. And I think that there's a tendency for people not to do that, to just go like, ah, oh, that's awful. Go get those guys. It's like, I understand that human nature, but given the, the, the history that we've lived through with the war on terror, it shouldn't be too much to ask to go, hey, you know how this game goes, folks. You remember the babies in the incubators? It was a lie. You remember the WMDs? A lie. Gulf of Tonkin. Why? You're like, how many times? How many times must, must we be lied to with really over-the-top stories? And then they go, oh, it's so egregious. Oh, you want proof? 
Oh, you're sick. Oh, you want proof of that? Oh, you sicko, you. You're a little, you're a grotesque little guy, you. It's like, dude, I don't want to look at that. I would actually pay money not to look at that. It would be horrible for my psyche. But I still need to know if it's true or not. And since you guys all lie to me 24-7, I'm going to kind of have to look at it to know. Sorry. I'm not happy about it either. I wish you guys weren't such fucking scumbags that I could just trust you. But I can't. I can't trust you. You've put me in the position of having to look at terrible fucking photographs to figure out what the hell's going on. I didn't do that. Y'all did. Fuck you for that. If you could just tell the truth every now and again, I wouldn't be so fucking skeptical and have to do all my own research. It sucks. But I have to. Because you are. Because you are that bad. Because you are pathologically lying. 24-7. For fucking 25 years. You guys don't stop lying. That's not my fault. That's your fault. And just because I don't have a fucking memory of a goldfish and I can actually keep track of this shit and go, Hey, you've lied to me for 25 fucking years. I'm going to have to fucking double check your sources, huh? I'm going to have to make sure that this really over-the-top story is legitimate before you go and flatten Gaza. Yeah. I'm the problem, though. I'm the problem. Not you that lied. Forever. Fuck you. Sorry. <laughs> I just get very angry at these people. Especially when they shame us. When we're just like, hey, you're full of shit. Could I make sure that this story's also not full of shit? And they're like, you're a bad person. I'm like, you're a bad person. The whole reason I have to ask is because you've been a bad person my entire life. All right, sorry. We'll move on. This is an interesting uh, interview with Mike Benz. He's kind of like former intelligence agent in America who's now doing media circuit uh by the way if you see him on twitter tag him tell him i'd like to have him on this was a interesting point he made they basically indicted the entire inner circle uh around that period in january and you know this is sort of happening around the globe in democracies at least around nato now where it's becoming shockingly common practice to just ban your opposition party and you know imran khan's arrested bolsonaro they arrested Marine Le Pen. They, they, they arrested Salvini. Every populist leader, there seems to be an immune system uh, with the foreign policy establishment that when a populist leader rises to power uh, for the interests of the people who live there rather than the interests of, of the international you know, assets that they hold or resources or investments, then there is a sort of immune system within the Justice Department or within the national security state to use dirty tricks to, to take them out. And there's no there's been no adaptation in the past several years on the populist side. I mean, you can see sentiment rising, but what is there to protect Matt Gates when he runs for governor if he starts to win? I mean, you can easily imagine, you know, Merrick Garland taking him for something. The, the FBI of went course. after Gates just recently. Already. And yeah. That was uh, Mike Benz on TimCast IRL with Tim Pool, And actually he was <laughs> recording in the studio that I record in over with Luke. So I thought that was interesting. But the, the reason I brought it or wanted to talk about it a little bit is, you know, he's right. If you look around the world, there is a that seems to be kind of like the, the white blood cells uh, of the current uh, establishment to prevent any sort of populist movements in these nations is to just use the justice system to go after their leadership, but not just their leadership. And this is the point that I wanted to expand on from from Mike here is that it's not just the leadership. It's everybody. Like, 
they have created a, a special task force to just look into Trump's supporters broadly. On top of that, his attorneys have been prosecuted. So it's like, this is getting, this is getting like end stage empire type of corruption and uh, use, using the judiciary and using the, you know, essentially the police state to crack down on dissidents. And I don't, I don't perceive myself to be a Trump supporter, as I'm sure you guys have figured out. Uh, but I guess I do find myself equally concerned as a Trump supporter because it's not like they're being discriminate. They're just going to kind of blanket task force attack these people. It's going to include libertarians. It's going, going to include anti-war lefties, for that matter. It's going to include a lot of people. Basically, anyone that's outside of the just the very narrow Democrat voting block. And it is pretty narrow. Because, I mean, if you're talking 70 million, maybe, <laughs> um, that are, are actually like hardcore Democrats, that's still not, that's not the majority of the even the adult population in this country. So it, it should give you pause. It should give you pause that like there's such a vicious reaction towards any sort of populist movement, right, right or left wing, right or left wing, uh, that like they're willing to just shred any sort of constitutional protections to, to hunt these people down. And this, by the way, is why I opposed the Patriot Act so, so fiercely when I did. It's because I knew that it would eventually shift from, I mean, I first I opposed it because it was immoral to just blanket surveil Muslims in this country. That was wrong enough. Now it's everybody. <laughs> now it's everybody. And this is the natural creep, mission creep, as they call it, of you know intelligence agencies and government more broadly. This is just what they do. They expand. They don't shrink. Don't give them more power. Don't give them more power. And certainly don't give them more power along with a blank check that says, you're morally good no matter what you do here. Keep us safe. Thank you. They're not going to keep you safe and they're going to strip you of your rights. You're doubly fucked. Don't do that shit. But this trend is serious. And I'm very anxious to see what happens with Javier Malay in Argentina. Will they will they once again find a way to arrest him? What I've what I read yesterday is that they are trying to bring charges against him for some nonsense. I don't know if it's nonsense. I haven't dug into it deep enough, but I would imagine it is just based off of the Trump track record of them trying to hem him up on a bunch of BS charges. It's like, hey, yeah, probably, probably. So stay tuned, folks. It's getting dicey out here. This is Rand Paul on Fox News talking about the latest on his investigation into Fauci. From the very beginning, Anthony Fauci knew he was involved with funding this lab and he did everything possible. It's throughout our government. Eight different agencies in our government are covering up their support for this lab in Wuhan. It's ongoing as we speak. Even though we've had a unanimous Congress declassified information, I have classified unclassified information that's being withheld from me to this day. But we have evidence, yes, that they were dishonest, that Anthony Fauci lied in hearings to me, which is a felony, punishable up to five years. We now have emails that show him saying that he knew it was gain of function, that the virus looked manipulated, and that he was worried that this came from the Wuhan lab. February 1st of 2020, then he spent the last three years saying nothing to see here. We also know that there was a safety committee that should have reviewed this, 
and we know that Anthony Fauci went around the safety committee. The safety committee set up in place to make sure this wouldn't happen never saw the Wuhan funding because Anthony Fauci allowed the funding to go around the safety committee. This is a bombshell revelation, and this will eventually bring down Anthony Fauci. Oh, boy. All right. Look, I can't verify all that because he hasn't, uh, obviously, he hasn't put out the proof of it. But let's just be honest. Rand Paul ain't exactly a uh, a showboating, over-the-top, deceptive politician. I, in fact, I would say he's a little bit too, he's, he soft-sells his takes a little bit more than I would. Like, if I had that information that he's talking about, I'd be like, American people, hello, we have to go after this guy. Uh, but, you know, I take, I take him at his word. I think his track record has earned him that, and uh, I'm very anxious to see what comes of it. Obviously, I'm not tremendously hopeful or optimistic that Fauci will be held to account for what he did, but I think if it can be proved, which it sounds like it can, well, February 2020, guys, February 2020, if he if it's proven that he covered it up that early on, even before it came to America, you know exactly what that means. You know he was involved and he knew exactly what was going down. And he knew exactly why it was so dangerous. And he knew exactly why his name couldn't be tied to it. Right? What's what's the other explanation? In the comments, tell me. Tell me what the other explanation is. Give me a benign explanation as to why he would have circumvented with the funding around the, uh, the safety board. Tell me. Because you know. You know the answer is it was illegal. You know it was. I'll just leave it at that. All right. I wanted to uh, to wrap up. This is just so mind-blowing. It's so rare that we get any level of uh, like on- just an honest question from the media about a controversial topic. Now, granted, the interviewer doesn't do shit to actually push back, but this was so so incredible. I had to uh, I had to play it for you guys. This is Leon Panetta, one of many. He's former CIA CIA director. Uh, he's one of the many people that signed off on the letter stating that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. Let's hear how he responds when asked if he regrets that. You're a mess. Uh, obviously, the House is in chaos as they try to find a speaker, but they're investigating still uh, the Hunter Biden situation. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about that letter you signed on to from former intelligence officials saying that uh, the laptop and the emails had all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. Obviously, the New York Post and others saying the Hunter Biden laptop letter was the real disinformation all along. Um, that letter was used in the debate. I haven't asked you this. But do you have regrets about that now looking back, knowing what you know now? Well, you know, Brett, look, I I was extremely concerned about uh, Russian uh, interference uh, and misinformation. And we all know it. Intelligence agencies discovered that Russia had uh, continued to uh, push uh, disinformation across the board. Uh, And my concern was to kind of alert the public uh, to be aware that these disinformation efforts went on. Oh, was that was that your in- entire intention there, Leon? Was it really? Because it was specifically stating that the Hunter Biden laptop, you weren't saying, here's a blanket letter going, American people, as a as, you, as one of your protectors, your defenders, and, and as just a true patriotic American, uh, I just wanted you to know 
that there is uh, uh, an active campaign from the Russians to propagandize you in the lead up to this election. Did you give just some boilerplate letter like that? No, you did not. You said explicitly that the Russian or that the, the laptop, that Hunter Biden's laptop had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. You, you targeted that particular story, which, by the way, the FBI had in its possession and they could have at any time verified if the claims that were coming from the New York Post were legitimate or not. You didn't do any of that and you don't regret it because you fucking were working for the Biden administration. Clearly. Uh, and frankly, I haven't seen any evidence from any intelligence agency that that was not the case. You know what the fuck? You haven't seen any evidence that it's not the case? Hunter Biden said he tried to sue because he was like, that's my private information, dude. You can't just put that out to the public. It was his fucking laptop. Hunter acknowledged, I've never, I've not seen it from any intelligence agencies. Maybe it's because they're corrupt to their fucking core, dude. And you were the head of one of them. Ah. You don't think that it, it was real? I, I think that, uh, I think that disinformation uh, is involved here. I think Russian uh, disinformation is part of what we're seeing everywhere. Uh, I don't trust the Russians, and that's that's exactly why I was concerned that the public not trust the Russians either. Jesus Christ, it wasn't from the Russians, you, you pathological lying. I can't even watch any more of it, you son of a bitch, you. You son of a fucking bitch. You pathological lying son of a bitch. Why would you do that? The answer is clear. You're not concerned about the Russians. The Russians had nothing to do with it. The FBI had it in its possession. Jesus Christ. Our government is so criminal. They're so criminal. And they're just shameless. He goes, oh, you didn't think it was real? He won't even say, no, I didn't think it was real. He just, he just doubles down in some like roundabout spook speak and you're like okay i guess we're i guess we could just move on sure you actively disinformed your words not mine the american people in the week leading up to a presidential election and you're just like i did my job just looking out for you i'm a good guy i'm your friend i'm your ally no the fuck you're not dude no you are not let's end with this Let's get Leon P Panetta's taste out of my mouth and get some Tucker Carlson in here. This is a interesting speech by him. Let's check it out real quick. If someone tells you your children are not your children, okay, these are not ideological differences. This is not, oh, I prefer, you know, this capital gains rate. These are totalitarian measures that treat you as non-human. Human beings, free citizens get to say what they think. Slaves must be quiet. That's the distinction. So all this like, oh, it's in the First Amendment. No, no, yeah, it precedes the First Amendment. As our founding documents make clear, these are natural rights that distinguish the citizen from the slave. I'm so glad he made that point because people have a tendency to think that like our rights come from the Bill of Rights. They, they enshrined our natural rights. As he said quite uh, you know, eloquently, they precede any sort of man-made documents. They are our rights. They cannot be taken away. The, the document, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, all of it was just enshrining it. It was putting it on paper to like declare 
These are things that you can't touch, even though we are giving our tacit approval to your existence, Mr. Government. These particular things are already innately ours, and you shall not interfere in any form or fashion. The human from the subhuman. We can't consider slaves fully human or we wouldn't enslave them. So anyone treating you as a slave considers you less than human. I just wanted to connect that dot. That's exactly what the propaganda is against the Palestinians when they refer to them as dogs. Uh, if, you've, if you've been online at all, I'm sure you've seen it a ton of times. People call them dogs and animals. And I mean, keeping in mind, it goes the other way too. People have done that against the Jewish population for as long as I, as long as history, basically. Um, if you dehumanize, the only way you can really treat someone in, you know, such a horrific fashion is if you somehow frame them to be less than you. I go out of my way every single day to never feel that way, to never view an entire population as being lesser or to be subhuman. The, the fastest pathway to creating or, or committing rather the most horrific of human actions is to find some sort of rationale to view someone as other than human. And I think he makes a really great point there. People don't pause to consider the implications of this. If someone says to you, I have a right to make your children hate you or to say weird, creepy sex stuff to your kids, what's your, what's a valid response to that? I'm calling for applying natural law to American life. And if you refuse to do that, what happens? Well, we're watching what happens. They become increasingly aggressive. The aims are exactly like the means, totalitarian, period. This is not a debate. They don't want a debate. They've said that explicitly, they don't want a debate. So I really think that we should begin to see this for what it is, which is a very big deal on which all depends, not just our republic, but like your family. And here's how you know this is, this is like a process that's imminent, not far away. We have a presidential race that's on the books. And I mean, I could go on for hours about that. The truth is I don't know what's gonna happen and that's kind of the point. I spent my whole life looking at the stuff, making predictions, winning bets, winning a couple pretty good vacations on making obvious you know, obvious bets about who's going to win. Like, no, Al Gore's not going to be president. Look at the guy. I want a lot of money on that. This election, we have a president who's, well, I'm not being mean, but is senile. That's just true. And I feel mean every time I say that, but it's true. And who is literally losing to a candidate who's been indicted four times on 91 felony counts. <laughs> Donald Trump has been indicted four times. Now, I think if you look at the counts, and I'm not here to flack for Trump, mixed feelings about Trump, but I'm just being honest. If you uh, spend a day reading it, it's ridiculous. So they've done everything they can by legal means, which are, in fact, extra legal means, if we're being totally honest, completely third world stuff, to take the opponent out of the race, and they're still losing. So... I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. This is not going to be a race between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I would bet my beloved fishing camp in Maine that that is not going to happen. That's not going to happen. I thought that was just an interesting take because so many people are just kind of assuming it's a foregone conclusion. 
Um, I think, you know, aside from the fact that like Joe Biden is just so, so old and um, deteriorating before our eyes, I think it's very improbable that he will be the candidate. I still, as Josie has said, I, I still suspect strongly that Gavin Newsom is their, their preferred replacement. Don't underestimate that guy. He's very, very slippery. <laughs> so I'm very nervous about that being the potential. But I think there's also a distinct possibility that they find some way, I mean, as they've been angling through this kind of uh, you know lawfare, judicial attack strategy, is to get Trump off the ballot. And if they, if they do that, well, if they get him off even in two or three states, swing states, that's like, that swings it hard in whoever the Democrat candidate's favor is, which puts them, in my view, probably as the favorite to be the next president. And if that's Gavin Newsom, God help us all. But I thought that his broader point about how 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 serious this is, how dangerous this this paradigm is, where you have people that are are comfortable not just in trying to manipulate your children, but they are they're so overconfident that they will they will accuse you of overstepping your bounds to try and intervene. You see how sick that is? As if they have a, a greater claim to your children than you do to your own. That's a that's a pathological sickness worldview. I mean, it's really a communist worldview. It's like, it's just a complete destruction of the family structure. It is like turning over the, the rearing of your children to the state. Such an extraordinarily dangerous worldview. And... And because they do such a phenomenal job at manipulating, you know, the the dialect as well as just the the perspective that people function off of, they're like, "Oh, you don't want us to teach, you know, this perverted crap to your kids? Well, you're a book burner. You're a fascist. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I want my child's innocence to be maintained." if they are unlucky enough to have to go to public school. <laughs> if that's too much to ask, well then you, public school, should not exist. If a parent doesn't have the right to say, you can't show pornographic content to my elementary school kid, then you shouldn't exist. Public school should not exist if that's the case. I would argue it shouldn't exist anyways, but really now, like really, if you have a bunch of blue haired fucking 350 pound lunatics that go by some sort of made up pronoun and you're like, hey, I don't want you to tell my kid this stuff and make them question their own sexuality or their own sex itself, their own gender. I don't want you to, I don't want you teaching them this stuff. I, I think that my child should just have as, as wholesome and as natural of an upbringing as possible. I don't want you teaching them about any of that. And I also don't want you teaching them about, I don't know, Hiroshima and Nagasaki when they're eight. There is, there is something to be said for like, when a child is ready for a topic at hand. And I would argue eight is too soon for the Holocaust or for the gender warfare stuff. Could you leave them the fuck alone? And if you don't think that you should leave them alone, well then you shouldn't have that job. And I make no apologies for saying it. And you should never, ever be around kids again either because you don't respect their parents' wishes over your own ideological obsession. It's a sickness.
You're crazy. I mean it. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you want to support my work, libertylockdown.locals.com. Or if you subscribe to my Twitter, at LibertyLockPod on Twitter, uh, I will follow you back. That's the easiest way to get a follow from me. And uh, approaching 109,000 over there. Thank you guys so much for that. Uh, we got a bunch of bunch more five-star reviews. And I'm going to read those to you real quick. And then we will hop out of here. But make sure you hit that like button before you go. Leave a comment and hit that subscription. And share the show around. That's the easiest way to grow the show. Let's get into those reviews. Thank you guys so much for leaving them. They are the best way to help grow the show algorithmically because then it aligns me with some of my other favorite shows, Ron Paul, uh, Dave Smith, Part of the Problem, Tom Woods, the whole the whole Michael Malice. You are welcome. You're welcome. You are welcome. Uh, so yeah, keep, keep leaving those reviews. First up, we got M. Seacrest says, thank you. Thank you for devoting your time to help get the truth out there. Great content. I spent a lot of time traveling for work. As many people who listen to podcasts do. And he says, I have a request. It's a long comment, so I'll leave it there. But basically, he asked me to up the audio levels, and I am working on that for you. The past few have been much louder, so I hope you're enjoying that. Thank you very much for the five-star review. A dude, a dude named Aaron says, five stars. Awesome show. One of the best Liberty podcasts out there. Well, until I'm the best, I'm not doing my job, but thank you so much. <laughs> Crunchy Boy says, love the pod. I'm gay. Awesome. I support your sexuality, and I love you very much. Uh, five stars. Mike4200 says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the baby story is true. The attack was real. Uh, okay. It uh, Rewind 30 minutes for my explanation as to why it matters if that story is true or not. I agree with you that the attack was real, but there is... The truth still matters, okay? It does. Cyber Ronan Khonshu says, intellectual idiocy, idiocy and moral bankruptcy. All right. Uh, the host's early podcast had me hopeful for this podcast as a source for another honest perspective. Unfortunately, recent episodes have exposed great vacuousness and, and, and enthusiastic perpetuation of emotional irrationality poorly hidden behind a weak facade of fake logic. Well, there was a lot of insults in there, but there was no arguments made. Hmm. Interesting. You made no arguments. Oopsies. Because all I've done is make arguments, which you can't contend with, friend. Sorry. Five stars. Just so thankful for Florida. Level-headed analysis. Thank you. This analysis was difficult, but well done. One of the most powerful things you said in this episode was that increasing dialogue and free speech and access to various viewpoints decreases the likelihood of conflict. So true. Thank you so much, everybody, for those reviews. Uh, you know, except for the guy that left me a one-star review. That's not nice of you. I don't know why you would do that to me. I've done nothing to you. I just have a little bit of different take than you, buddy. Uh, but we're approaching 700 reviews. If you guys want to counter counteract that one-star review, which was totally unfair and unreasonable, I might add, uh, go leave a five-star review so that it can help with the algos and get the show more listeners so that people can actually hear the ideas that you would like them to hear. Like, seriously, we're in an information war. Alex Jones, if he's right about anything, it's that we are in an information war. And the best way we can fight in that war is to actually have people hear our ideas, to know that there are other people out there that think this way too. It allows people to feel less crazy as they look at the media and they go, I don't know what the truth is, but I know I'm being lied to. Well, I do a really, I go out of my way to try and not give you bullshit. I try and make sure that if I'm going to say something, I have, I have a, a reason for it. I can actually back it up. Unlike that one-star review, you piece of shit, you. Uh, <laughs> but thank you for listening in the past. And if you were a fan in the past, just realize that some of these topics, they're going to strike you 
in your core. They're going to they're gonna hit you where your biases are. And I have my own. I try to be honest about them. But if you're upset with my take about, like, I want to see as little bloodshed as possible and that this this the history of this region is far more complicated than the media is telling us and that we probably should do everything in our power to counter active war propaganda and keep American troops from being deployed, which, by the way, 2,000 of them are, are headed over there right now along with two carrier strike groups that are already in the Mediterranean. Yeah, I'm not going to make apologies for that. I'm not going to make apologies for trying to prevent another catastrophic, unnecessary, avoidable war. I will never apologize for that. But I will apologize for hurting your feelings because you seem like a nice person. Hug your mom. Kiss your dad. Pat yourself on the head. I'll see you guys soon. Peace. Just wanted to say real quick that I'm going to be having on Dave Smith on Tower Gang tomorrow night or Wednesday night, rather. Uh, also going to have Ian... Crossland, my guy, on with Luke over on We Are Change, YouTube or Rumble. You can find us there. Uh, should do a couple episodes with him probably this week. And then last but not least, certainly not least, my guy, Anomaly. We're going to do a cross stream probably Thursday or Friday this week. Has been a couple months since we talked, and I love that dude. And I'm sure we'll have a lot to dig into, as you'd imagine. Hopefully, it's not all about Israel-Palestine, because goodness gracious, this is too too heartbreaking of a topic to talk about all the time. I'll see you guys soon. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?